You're listening to PlayStation Unchained. Welcome to this special edition of PlayStation Unchained, the official podcast of PlayStation Universe, PSU.com. In a departure from our usual weekly episode, we've got an interview with Mark Kale, who is the CEO of System 3. They've been running as an independent publisher and developer since 1982. System 3 have been involved in producing games across the gaming generations, from the Commodore 64 and ZX Spectrum to Vita and the PS3. You may have heard of The Last Ninja, Impossible Mission, Ferrari Challenge, Constructor and many more. They're also releasing two PlayStation 4 launch games, which will also appear on other platforms and Vita, in the form of Pinball Arcade, which has been dubbed the world's most realistic pinball simulator, and Putty Squad, which is one of the highest rated Amiga games never to have been released. It's a really insightful interview in which Mark talks about the highs and lows of the gaming industry, what it's like to spend time with the PS4, which he calls the most significant console launch in history, and why he thinks that there'll never be a time when digital downloads will replace physical box copies entirely. I'm Stephen Williamson, General Manager of PlayStation Universe, and I recently had a phone call with Mark, which you're about to hear in its entirety. I hope you enjoy it. First of all, I think it's sad to see like the closure of many of the UK's independent studios over the years, which have seen Blitz close. How, how have you guys managed to stay afloat and be successful for, for 30 years, and what's been the highlight of your time with, with System 3? Well, I think it's quite a long question, but let's start with uh, some uh, simple... Uh, points about um, um, gaming and how to survive. I think the key, um, the key point that we've always tried to focus on is to give the consumer uh, the best possible experience we can um, whenever we deliver a product. And depending on what genre we're actually delivering, we always try to make the best product possible. Obviously, it's very, very, very challenging in today's world, and it's it, it's completely um, open-ended because. The gaming market has changed so much. I think this is one of the challenges a lot of the UK studios have got because it doesn't matter if you're looking at monetized uh, gameplay in terms of getting a financial reward and having the money up front to actually take a gamble and how many of those monetized uh, free-to-play games actually work all the way through to console games where you don't get traction in retail. Um, and, and I think really that's the, yeah, the, the, the biggest challenge that any studio faces. Um, we have the advantage of not just being a, a development uh, studio, but also being a publisher as well. And to be publishing and making video games and developing them for 31 years, the advantage we've also had is we started at the very, very, very basic end of Spectrums and Commodore 64s and worked our, ourselves up all the way up to current gen, uh, next-gen consoles such as PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and uh, the latest PC machines. Um, what we've also uh, experienced is uh, a complete uh, change in technology. You know, when I first actually started selling video games, they were on cassettes, and you, know, you were lucky when you had games come out on you know, what we called floppy disk at the time. Um, and then obviously Nintendo introduced uh, the system called uh, the cartridge, which Atari had initially launched, or actually 
Philips launched a originally as a Magnavox cartridge. Uh, Atari had it on the 2600. Nintendo made that kind of a standard. Obviously, we've gone back to uh, various discs, whether it's in CDs, DVDs, or Blu-rays now. And then obviously, now got the digital revolution of actually downloading, having enough storage on your machine to save uh, onto your console digital games. If you look back at the old Commodore days, you'd have to load in each level by cassette. And it's not just that side of technology that's changed. It's the way you communicate and trying to keep up to date with what people want. Initially, when we were selling games into Europe and uh, you know, across the world, we'd get orders in on, on something called a telex machine, which a lot of people don't even know what it is now. <laughs> um, and then when the facts came out, we are all really excited. Of course, now uh, you've got the Internet. And I think what people also uh, forget is when we actually started, the first internet communications we had was on the Commodore 64 with CompuServe. And people don't really give CompuServe enough justice, I think, in the history and annals of video games at the moment. But it's this constant adjusting in video games and the way the market's changing and how the actual needs of the different users are changing and how fragmented and different each sector of the market is. It's a huge challenge for developers. So you can't just say, right, I've got a game, it plays well, but this is what I like. You've got to target certain audiences. You've got to be focused on how you're going to position your product, and you've got to have an outlet as to how you're going to be successful with that product uh, globally. Um, and one of the advantages we've had is, fortunately, we've also been able to set up in uh, Japan, the States, and obviously we're in the head office is in the is in the UK. Uh, we are one of very few British publishers that has continually done very, very well in Japan and continued a strong relationship with a lot of people in Japan. That's really helped us. We also um, recently had uh, great success in Japan. Our second product we launched on PSN out there was uh, a top 10 title, being absolutely supercast. Our first product we launched out there on PSN, uh, Ferrari, the race experience, got to number two in the charts in, in Japan. And it's these sort of things and working out different markets and how to position your products and being the first. And gambling also has allowed us to survive and, and, and adapt. And I think it's got to be small, small and good enough. We don't do as many titles and we're not as prolific as a lot of other publishers, but generally I think we've tried to make sure, as I said uh, at the beginning, that the quality of the games are, are to a level where someone's not disappointed and feel they've been robbed. You know, sure. there's nothing worse than opening a, 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 a package, you put it in and play a game, you think, you know, Christ, this is just bloody awful. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and unfortunately, too many developers make that mistake. It's, I work with many, many development studios across the world, so I'm, I'm quite lucky. I see how a lot of people uh, run their companies and run their development studios, and it's quite incredible just how different programmers see things than gamers like ourselves here and, and how we should be uh, getting an experience for gameplay. Programmers are very, very, very methodical and very, it's either on or off. It's just as simple as that. It's sure. zeros and, 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 and digits, and it's, it's as simple as that. And the problem I think a lot of studios have is you, if you don't have someone there that can lead a game through in terms of making it feel and look right, then you've got a real problem because it doesn't matter how great your programming routines are, great code does not sell a game. Yeah. A game sells if it's fun, a game is successful if it's fun, and you only have to look at some of the very simple uh, successes on iPhone lately to actually prove that. Uh, you know, if you look at Angry Birds, obviously it's an obvious one, but even Candy Crush late, um, of, of, of later times, yeah. it reminds me of when Tetris came out and how everyone 
dismissed that when it came out initially on the Amiga and Mirasoft had it and then Nintendo snapped it up, put it on the original black and white Game Boy and yeah, the rest was history. It became a huge brand. And that's one of the, the, the challenges of other studios have is you actually then create something that's very niche. How do you get people to actually support it? Um, it, it, it so you, you, whenever you're developing, whenever you're publishing, you've got to look at what your, um, what your, your audience is going to be and what your out, outlay is going to be in terms of, uh, investment and a return. Because obviously you can have a thing that's very small, doesn't need to do the numbers as some of the bigger mega hits, but you're still making a very good living and it's all about planning and where you're going. Sure. I mean, I, mean, I, I think, I think that's, you know, but it's, uh, yeah, it's one of the reasons why we've managed to survive. But I think the most important thing is that anyone that works with me, if they don't share my enthusiasm and passion for games and gaming and doing something experience, uh, so it's something that's a great experience, uh, for the user, then I'm not interested. And I think it's sad that a lot of people look at making games as an opportunity of making money rather than having fun and having, yeah, developing an experience. Sure. I mean, you touched on the uh, the rise of digital distribution. Do you, do you think there'll there'll be a time in the future where all games will be digitally distributed and, and also the end of sort of physical box copies? Well, that's a very good question. Um, I think if you look at the uh, market, there are there are two ways to look at that. Something like Putty Squad always needs retail. And the reason is because it's, it's aimed at retro gamers, and retro gamers are generally older guys or girls, and they want something to collect, and they want something from the past, and generally they want something physical. They want something like a book in a library. Not all retro gamers are like that. Some of them are quite happy to download things digitally. But most importantly, the other side of Party Squad, it also introduces a younger audience to... Uh, video games and to platform and that sort of thing. And if you're looking for an eight to twelve year old audience, then you've got a problem if it's digital because the accessibility of that consumer finding your product and being able to download it is is a real challenge. And I think you've, you know a lot of people have seen that with you know the iPhones and where it's been monetized play and it's always locked and it's very very difficult to get a parent to buy something digitally because they're always scared they're going to be um, ripped off by lots of lots of extra monies as their credit card later on in the game. So I think that that says to me that there will always be a need for retail product. There are a lot of people, especially uh, a new generation of, uh, of of gamers now, teenagers and people in their twenties, that don't want packaged products around. They don't want DVDs. They don't want you know, games uh, around. They just simply want something that's uh, um, <clears throat> that's on their machine stored and it's. It's saved in the cloud somewhere. So if their machine's stolen or, you know, it's corrupted or break, they can download the whole library again and it saves space. And it's, you know, if you're at college or university, there's a, there's a huge advantage to that. But the trouble with digital um, is it's, it's perceived value. And so the idea of spending 49.99 on a game that's a digital game is not appealing to most consumers. Yeah. And so I think it's also very importantly driven by price. And if you look at the success of things, most of the Steam sales and success for publishers has come from when they've got some promotions or sales, not day one releases. Yeah. So retail always will, in my opinion, play a very valuable part to an early adopter to a game, uh, entry-level gamer that's a child, 
and really the impulse buy because discoverability in terms of a digital world and what games are out there in a digital store is very, very, very difficult. Whereas if you have a promotion with a retailer, if you are doing something in store, at least it's visible and the consumer can find it. Yeah. The attention span of, of, of everyone now with, with this whole digital world is, is second. So if someone can't find something digitally within seconds, it, it's done. They're not going to never look any further. Yeah. It's the same, obviously, when you're playing a game. And that is going to be the biggest challenge um, uh, for people if they want to get digital only. Of course, if you're doing a promotion, not only have you got the price incentive of a promotion on Steam or other, other, other formats that, that push you forward, but actually it's discoverability. Suddenly you're, you're being promoted a special offer, there's this title, heard of it, and you've got to click through to get that title. But sure. I'll give you an example. One of the most frustrating things um, um, I had recently, I wanted to buy one of the latest Final Fantasy games on the PlayStation Store, and I've got to say the PlayStation Store has got to be the worst store for certain things. And as much as we push Sony, they don't seem to get their searches right since they've redesigned the store. It took me over 20 minutes to try and find Final Fantasy. I gave up and bought yeah. it on the US store, but it still took me five minutes. Mm -hmm. Trouble is, there's so many variations or what have you of Final Fantasy and different things and different DLC, it's not arranged correctly. And so, again, that's, that's, and that's me as a consumer knowing what I want and what I'd like to download. And that, you know, you can't find it instantly. That's not good. I don't want to waste 20 minutes of my time trying sure. to find something to buy. Um, so I think they're, they're the kind of challenges you've got. If you have something on Amazon and you search something, it comes up very clearly what you want. Um, and I think digital stores need to have that sort of system whereby you can find something very easily if you're searching. And, and that would aid... Uh, digital taking off and, and, and expanding to a wider audience. Mm -hmm. um, but um, I always feel, as I said, I always feel there's going to be a retail world. Yeah. You know, I walk in a store and I want, I want a particular game. It's either going to be on his computer system or it's not. And he's then going to say, well, I can order that in from the warehouse or I can't. And it, it, it takes me a few moments. Yeah. Um, trying to do that on a digital store is very, very difficult. Yeah. And that's, that's what I'm trying to say. Okay. Uh, let's talk about Putty Squad. Um, can you tell us a bit more about the game and what has changed since the original to, to enhance it for PS4 and Vita? Putty Squad was a game that was a sequel to Super Putty and was originally scheduled to come out on the media in 2000, uh, sorry, 1993. And it had, um, it had review scores didn't it? So, it had like 90 percent plus review scores but it wasn't released is that right okay let, let me give you an example as to what happened um look at the nintendo wii u we created obviously putty squad on a number of formats including the wii u and the wii u version is almost finished but we've had to abandon it why because unfortunately retail is not supporting and cannot support Wii U because of the type of sales performance it's, sure. it's um, generating for its shelf space. Mm -hmm. um, they, they, you know, to the point where they're not even supporting the console in a lot of retail outlets now as well, which is a shame. Yeah. The same thing happened with the Amiga. So circa sort of 1993, 94, you had the arrival of the uh, SNES. Uh, consoles were... All the rave, you had the Mega Drive that was coming through as well. 
Um, before that, you had the master system and the NES, and you're fighting for retail space, and retail had decided it was going to drop the 16-bit formats of you know, the ST and the Amiga. And although the game had a cover mount, uh, people loved it. It was highly, highly regarded in the press and got 93, 94, 95% reviews uh, as a finished product. Yeah. It couldn't find itself onto the retail shelf. And unfortunately, frustrated a lot of users uh, and never came out. The same guys that worked for me on that game then work for me still now. Uh, the lead programmer on the game is John Twiddy. The lead artist is Paul Thornton. Yeah. Um, they're still with me. They've worked on the current Putty Squad. But to bring Putty Squad back today, first of all, we started off looking at this. Let's just port the Amiga version instead of the PS3 title. Unfortunately, the gameplay doesn't stack up in terms of what uh, the user would want and how not to frustrate the user. Back in the day, people had a lot more time. So the first thing that we found that was not good enough in the game is it didn't have a tutorial. Because in Putty Squad, you can stretch, you can punch, you can inflate, you can absorb, you can put on the disguise, uh, you can jump, you can move between platforms, um, you can go into a pod. There's lots of different moves and things you can do in the game, and it's a sort of puzzle platform game. People would not have the time and patience to sit there and learn all of the different moves as how it will play unless you really are hardcore retro yeah. so to make the game work for the younger generation you needed to have an in-depth number of levels introduced as a tutorial which is which we've done which is very very successful and you know my daughter of nine can play it right the way through and kids as young as six can play it right the way through but um, it allows people to understand what you do how you morph how you punch how you change into different objects stretch move and, and do various things and collect all of the uh, red putty friends of yours to complete the level. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> aside from that, we then decided, well, it would be really good to do a speed mode. So we, add, and we added in a challenge mode into the game. So the game split up in terms of the standard game, marathon mode, which we've now called it, and challenge mode. Challenge mode will allow you to play just one level that you've um, uh, worked up to, and you can play that individually and, and, and play against the clock. Or you can just continue playing the game right the way through in marathon mode and you have progression screens and we've added in a progression map like you've got with Donkey Kong and even Candy Crush now in terms of where you want to be uh, in the game and replaying older levels and going back to older levels and starting yeah. with the same score, same number of lives and playing back up through it. So there's a huge difference. We added in more um, opponents we've allowed the putty to now stretch and, and move and stretch on to move in platforms, which you couldn't do in the old days because you were limited on memory and, and obviously the processor speed. Um, we've improved the animations. The graphics have been put up to date. So on, on PS4, you're a 1920 by 1080 full, full HD. Yeah. Um, we've also put in other things such as a map mode. So you can press a button, it pauses the game, and you can see everything, see where the uh, the putties are you've got to collect and what you've got to do. But also, we've added something in uh, for the younger audience in terms of stickers. So hidden in all of the different levels, you've also got stickers that you collect. Stickers are added into your sticker book, and if you collect a full page of stickers, that allows you to download free of charge a DLC level that we are going to be giving away. It's really important 
is we don't want to make money out of DLC and monetization. So we're giving it away for free. Now, if you as a user are playing this, you say, well, okay, I can get it free. But you want to incentivize them, and there's got to be a value for that DLC. Mm -hmm. So there are some people that don't want to be bothered, collect all the stickers, and they want all the levels, and they want to try other things, and they would want to buy them. They have to pay five euros to buy that level. Mm -hmm. So if you as a user is playing through and you're collecting all your stickers as a kid or as a hardcore retro gamer, and you've collected a page of stickers and you've got your next new level for free that we're going to allow you to download, if that's worth five euros, we've got 26 levels and we are putting up a DLC over 52 weeks next year post-launch mm -hmm. that at five euros each means you're getting 130 euros worth of DLC for free. In effect... It's almost another game. You're adding on constantly yeah. into the game, but we're not charging for it. If you, however, if you are a user that wants to buy it because you don't want to wait, then fine. But it's yeah. five euros, yeah. and 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 that's the important message. Yeah, kids love to collect stickers. I love to collect sort of sticker bits and things like that as well. When I was, uh, um, you, you know, younger and that sort of thing, and I think it brings in it, it's added a different dimension. That's a big improvement over what the original game had. So instead of just saying, all right, we've made the game a lot bigger, we've made the game, uh, you know, twice the size of more levels, well, yeah, fine, but that's not really fun. And the way we've now introduced this and we keep it going, it keeps the interest going with Putty, you keep things going with Putty, and you've got new DLC levels that be coming up on the PlayStation Store every two weeks. Yeah. In addition to that, on PlayStation 4, if people pre-order it on PlayStation 4, what we're also doing is we are adding in the original Super Putty game as, the, as a DLC plug-in that people can buy early next year. So in Q1 next year, Super Putty will be available as individual levels being downloaded. You can plug into Putty Squad, but if you've got it on the PS4 and you've pre-ordered it on PS4, you get it for free as a collector's edition, whether it's on digital or whether it's actually on uh, the retail version. Um, so there's a, there's a hell of a lot more there. I mean, I can go on. I can show you all the different things we've done on Party Squad when I uh, get the opportunity to come up and uh, and see you. So, so just to clarify, are you saying that if you if you pre-order Party Squad on the PS4 at launch, do you get sorry, yeah, at launch do you get that game, or do you get it when it launches? You get you get the season pass. So you'll you'll have to register with us. We'll give you a season pass, and when. Yeah. When, party, when Super Putty is available Q1, you'll get um, Super Putty okay. free of charge. Great. Um, I mean, you're also releasing Pinball Arcade, um, and I think that's described as the most advanced pinball simulation to date. Now, I know you guys have got a strong history in like this particular genre. What can we expect from the game, and how has is, how is the PS4 architecture helped you to recreate an authentic pinball experience? Well, that's a very good, uh, very good question. Um, first of all, I'd like to start by saying we have created a pinball game, not of made-up pinball uh, elements, but actually based on real pinball tables. So that's the starting point. It's always been to whether we've done Gottlieb Pinball Classics or Williams Pin Pinball Classics in recent years on PSP and uh, PS3. Uh, pinball Arcade takes it a stage further by having a number of other manufacturers in rather than making one make and actually emulating the table. So on the PlayStation 4, what we've actually got is the ROM emulation of the circuit boards actually working correctly within the game code. So if there's 
2,500 lights on the table, every one of those lights will light up at the right time. If the ball touches a bumper at a certain point, the strength of that bumper and how it pushes a ball, that would be identical to the table. It's an absolute replica in a virtual world of that particular table. And because they're real tables, we had the added advantage of them working out what are the most popular and famous tables in the world and licensing them. So whether it's been Medieval Madness, whether it's been Star Trek Next Generation, whether it's been Monster Bash, we've been able to go out there and license those tables to put into the game. And of course the game then expands on with extra season passes and packs you can you can buy into. But the lighting that we've able been able to do on the PS4 most dramatic improvement. It's very moody and very dark and it can show off the LEDs. So when each of the individual lights are on, it really does show off the difference between the PlayStation 4 version and earlier versions of, of this game and pinball games we've done in the past. Um, the ball, again, rendered and the way it's lit uh, is incredible. Good feel, good weight on the ball. Um, and I think it's the most complete pinball experience yet on any console or any system to date. Um, and, I mean, you've been involved um, like for three decades and, and seen the launch of many different consoles, handhelds and, uh, and game machines. How does the upcoming PlayStation 4 launch compare? Um, are you excited for the next generation? I think the problem the industry had is been such a long time period between the last major console launch on PS3 and Xbox of some eight years and the current generation of Xbox One and PS4. Of course, it's very exciting and it really is required in the industry because the delay was making the PlayStation 3 feel very, very old and it was restricting the market size to the point where I think a lot of people are walking away from console gaming. So I think it's the pivotal point between whether people go back into console gaming, stick with their PCs and Steam, or even just go to playing on uh, a smartphone or something like that, which I don't think yeah. is a great experience at all. Yeah. I don't like touchscreen games. They don't work. You know, Twitch games do not work on touchscreen. But the trouble is, is that things have moved so quickly and so long uh, since we've had a console win. This is the most important console launch for both companies, probably in the history of these things, because it's make or break, yeah. I think, for you know, for, for, for both divisions of, of, of both of those companies. And you've seen what's really happened with um, uh, the Wii U and how that, how that didn't work. Yeah. Um, and so... For us, we're very excited because it seems that everybody's talking about PlayStation 4 and what it can do, and everybody seems to want one. Yeah. Um, so, you, you, you know, it, it, it's, it's probably, as I say, it's probably going to be the most significant console launch uh, in history. Now, how Sony handle that, I've no idea. I think they've done a great job so far, and I hope they don't create any own goals. But you're in a different world. You're coming out of a recession. Other consoles weren't launched in a recession. There's a lot of other factors that you've got to take into consideration here. Yeah. Um, but so far, I think you know, we can safely say that everybody's heard of uh, the new consoles, be it PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and everybody's extremely excited about it. It seems everybody wants one uh, this Christmas. So it's, it's great news for developers and great news for publishers and for the industry. I mean, how have you found working with the PS4? I mean, what do you think of the system so far? I presume you guys have got, um, well, of course you've got enough kits and 
I think it's an amazing system. I really do like um, the PlayStation 4. The um, just just the way you program the system is so much easier than the PlayStation 3. You can you know you can get to the point straight away, and that was always the problem. It took so many years for people to really get to grips with how to control all the different uh, processors and chipsets in uh, the PlayStation 3 to re-push the machine. It reminds me a lot of how the old Atari 400-800 computer used to be, where you had a different graphics chip um, processing chip for your routines and the sound chip. Um, but for whatever reason, Sony, thank God, have gone into a, a far more simple structure, which allows it to be um, a powerful system day one straight out of the box for everyone to program. And I think that's the most important thing. There's also a lot of other really nice features on the products. I do like the controller. I like the touch panel on there. Um, I, 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 I like the whole the way the whole thing feels. Um, and there's some, there's some great products coming for it. So it's a, it's a great console. You, in an interview with MCV, um, this is some time ago, I think it was near the launch of uh, the PS Vita, that you said that uh, it has the potential to be an iPad, iPad Vita. Uh, I think you should go and have a look at the Sun, yeah, uh, the Sunday Sun this week, and it's quite interesting. And it's this is this is the problem if you do bad marketing. Yeah. The Vita could have been an iPad Vita. It mm -hmm. could have been something amazing, and still should be. Now. If you could, I, I mean, I could, I'm quite happy to send you a copy because I have to Sony. Now, they, they, the, the 2DS launched on Friday yeah. um, and, oh, no, Saturday. And on the Sunday, they had a 2DS versus iPod. Not an iPhone, not, a, not, not an iPad, an iPod. Yeah. And effectively, the, 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 the article was saying, right, this is £109. An iPod touch is £199. It's better... Because you can get your games for 69p digitally, it's better because apart from playing just games, it can play movies, it's got access to the internet and Wi-Fi, you can play songs on it and do all these, all the things the Vita can do. The yeah. Vita is 30 quid less, yeah. it has got a bigger screen and actually has a control panel on there with a joystick on it so you can actually play games properly. As I said, you can't play Twitch games on an iPod. And it's a completely different experience for, for an iPod um, to uh, you know, a Vita or a 3DS. And I think the handheld market is far more geared towards kids and a younger generation than, than, than a, an older generation of, of people. Older generation of people will be on Facebook, um, be texting or getting emails or what have you if, it, if they're on the move. Um, but kids do love portable gaming. Yeah. And it's really important that Sony make it happen on the Vita because I, I, it surprised me the Vita wasn't even mentioned as an alternative for an extra 60, 70 pounds over, over, over the 2DS. It, yeah. it, 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 it was quite shocking really. And that's the only thing that you've got to, um, you know, you've got to worry about is, is, is how the machine is, is positioned. Uh, globally. Now, with the PS4, they've done a great job. I think with the PS Vita, I think it was a missed opportunity. I really do, because it's a fantastic machine. Well, I mean, it was, I mean, I mean, I use my Vita regularly. It was, I mean, it was marketed towards the core gamers, wasn't it, really? And then, um, but then I do most of my core gaming on my PS3, uh, you know, and I use my handheld for uh, uh, quick games, quick experiences. Um, 
But I, I don't know, maybe they need more indie games on there and, you know, games for uh, youngsters rather than the, 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 the huge core experiences. Well, I, you know, I don't think, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, I wouldn't go and play Call of Duty on the Vita. It's yeah. not it's not that sort of experience. The screen's not designed to have a full immersive, um, you know, first-person shooter. Um, would I play FIFA on there? Probably. But I don't think FIFA's done particularly well in terms of uh, coding. I, I, I just see it as a kid being the remakes of, the older, of earlier PSP versions and have always been disappointed. It's oh, not it's as good a, as the console. Yeah. It's a really poor remake right. on FIFA. So, and, and I think you've got that problem. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of products. So if you look at Putty Squad, for example, as a, a, that is absolutely a brilliant Vita product. It, it's, it's totally suited for that. And because it's got cross-play between that and the PS4, it's actually a nice machine where you can actually you play on the PS4 and if you want to go to work and you're going to try and get some more challenges done and levels completed and stickers collected, you can do it on your Vita and then come home and update your PS4 and continue on your PS4. Uh, so you're completely having a point. Have you, have you utilised any of the uh, sort of touchscreen capabilities on the Vita? Or is it, is of course it we have. Yeah, you know, you know, you, you you've got touchscreen to um, control a number of the items that you can select. Yeah. Uh, move around in map mode. Uh, you can zoom in and zoom out. Um, so we've had we have used the touchscreen to its full capacity. That said, you you just don't want to play a game by moving left or right or moving around a world by using touchscreen because it's just not a reliable enough uh, interface between your finger and what you need as a Twitch game for it to work. You need a joystick. <laughs> so, you know. I mean, now, now that we've uh, revitalised Pretty Squad, can we expect any more of your past titles to, to make the way to V to PS4, such as The, the Last Ninja? Uh, the Last Ninja is always the most commonly requested uh, game for us to remake, followed by uh, International Karate and Constructor. We would love to do Last Ninja. Um, I think the question is, would people want it as an isometric or would they want it full-on first-person? If it's full-on first-person, how does a small publisher like System 3 compete against Assassin's Creed and Ubisoft? Sure. Uh, and these are the questions we've always got to ask. So at the moment, we are looking to run uh, some polls yeah. and find out from people if they would like Last Ninja to come back as an isometric uh, game like it was originally, like a, a proper sort of fantasy action-adventure game, or they want it as first person. If it's first person, it's not going to be Last Ninja as an experience. It's not going to be the original game. Yeah. Um, and it's very unlikely I'm going to spend the sort of money developing it that Ubisoft have done on Assassin's Creed. So I don't want to disappoint uh, you know, our fans and do a game that's not of a higher standard and have something like Assassin's Creed that's a better product um, if, we were, if we were to go head-to-head. And even if we were a better product, how do you market yourself ahead of Assassin's Creed? Mm. Whereas if you go into an isometric viewpoint and you keep to the original way the game's uh, played as a sort of arcade adventure action game, uh, then I think you've got complete differences with the product. And I think you have an, a, the chance to go forward with it. But, you know, it, it depends on the users because when we speak to a number of people in the press, they expect Last Ninja to be full 3D as a first person. But, yeah. You know, it's not, Last Ninja, it's not Last Ninja anymore, is it? It's something else. 
it's taking elements of Last Ninja and putting it into a different uh, gameplay mechanism. So that's the difficult one. So sometimes you just leave it and always let people remember it as a great product, yeah. or do you bring it back and damage the IP? Yeah, the, yeah. challenges. So, yeah, so, so so basically you're gonna you're gonna ask the community and see. Well, I, I think if, if there's a large enough, it, absolutely, if there's a large enough pe uh, amount of people in the community who said, look, we want you to bring back Last Ninja Isometric, yeah. of course we would do it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what's, uh, I mean, I guess your sort of roadmap over the next uh, 12 months, is it via sort of DLC for Pretty Squad and Pinball Arcade, or, uh, I mean, you still hold those... No, we've got a lot of other products. Um, we have... Um, James Pond Operation Robocop that we're yes. going to be bringing to PS4 and uh, Vita, uh, done in full HD. Uh -huh. We are looking at a lot of our other uh, back catalogue titles, um, which we'll be announcing shortly. We are looking at um, things like Impossible Mission as well. Yeah. Um, but most importantly, I think the one game that uh, we really do, um, you know, we do really want the, you know, to come back to the market and we're working hard on is Constructor. Yeah. Uh, why? Because as a strategy building sim, there's nothing really like it in the marketplace and it's very similar to Clash of Clans, so it doesn't matter what format it's on, that appeals to a wide range of people and it's the right choice for that sort of product to be the focus for next year. Of course, with uh, the racing games that we always support. Yeah. Well, do you, do you still hold the uh, Ferrari license, don't you? Yes, we did. We hold that, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess, I guess there's going to be a, another Ferrari game then. Can't possibly comment. <laughs> Put it this way: I do like racing. <laughs> yeah, I've heard you like like your cars. I think I actually met you at um, Gamescom. Um, I think it was when the last Ferrari game was out. And uh, we were, oh, really? Yeah, we were talking about cars then. So it was some time ago. How long ago was that? Maybe a couple, of, two, three years ago. Two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine. I don't uh, know. A hell of a yeah. long time ago. Yeah, two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I know you like your cars. Um, yeah. Final question for you. Um, where do you stand on the debate about which next generation console will win the console war? Um, I mean, have you had much experience with the X? You ever seen much of the Xbox One? Or I mean, just generally, what 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 do you think? Who do you think is going to sort of take the lead? I think the markets can be very fairly split depending on territory. I think if you ask someone in France or Germany, they'll have a completely different view and be far more biased towards PS4 than Xbox One than, say, in the UK or in the States. Mm. Um, for me, that's a debate I don't want to get involved in. I'm glad there's two machines. I'm glad there's a lot of options out there for people, and we try and support all our fans on as many machines as possible. Yeah. Um, but we, we, we just don't get involved in the debates as to who's going to win and which one is the most successful machine. I think they're both uh, coming out at the right time and, and the market needs new consoles and I hope also Nintendo sorts out the Wii U and do something about getting that back in a, in terms of a, a refit in some way because, yeah, like I said, it's important the console market continues and it's important that there are a number of manufacturers pushing consoles and making people think about consoles. It's healthy for us and for the market. Um, so it doesn't really matter to me which is the most successful. Sure. We've always supported Sony and we'll always continue to support Sony in every platform they launch.
Um, I mean, how do you feel about like Sony's commitment towards indie developers and you know the what they're promising with the, the sort of more opening open publishing platform for PS4? Is it something that sort of affects you guys? Um, I don't think it affects us in any way because I've always been confident that we've delivered an experience um, that people obviously want and like, which is why we've got so many IPs, and we're very fortunate to have so many IPs that we own. Yeah, whether it's also the Last Ninja Series, IK, California Games, Summer Games, Constructor, Myth, yeah, go on and on and on. Um, but uh, I do think that um, it's, it's but from our point of view, I mean, effectively, we are, we're an indie, we're an independent small publisher, we're an independent small developer, so in effect, we are an indie ourselves. So, of course, yeah, we support it, and I just let the market decide what they want. So that's Mark Cowell of System 3. If you want to know more about Putty Squad and Pinball Arcade, or indeed the other games that System 3 have made in the past, then do check out the official site, www.system3.com. We'll be back with our usual weekly podcast on Sunday the 20th of October, talking about the week's PlayStation news. You can find that on the homepage on psu.com, or by searching for PlayStation Universe on iTunes or Podbean. Thanks for tuning in.